Welcome to Restart Radio on Resonant 104.4 FM, the gadget show where we do not talk about the new shiny, shiny things to buy, but instead about the value in the stuff we already have. Most weeks, Restart Radio is hosted by the team at the Restart Project, a London-based charity and social enterprise. But this week, you're listening to a takeover of Restart Radio. As volunteers and friends of the Restart Project, we actively promote a more sustainable relationship with our electronics. But we don't do this for our day jobs. So please note that all views expressed in the following show are our own and not representative of those of the Restart Project. My name's Ben Skidmore, and I'll be one of your co-hosts this week, along with Dave Lukes. Hi. Hi, Dave. Hi there. So this week we're going to be talking about how repair can benefit the, the community and also about the current increasing demand for technology. But first we should introduce ourselves a little bit because we're uh, new to hosting. So what's your relationship with Restart, Dave? Uh, well, a few years ago I heard about the Restart Project and I just thought what a great idea it was to fix things that needed fixing. And the environmental aspects of it were fascinating too. And along with contributing my fixing talents, I also learned an awful lot about the consumer economy, how things were being disposed of that didn't need to. And I became a big fan of the Restart Projects, not only what it does, but its philosophy behind what it does. Um, in my day-to-day -day job, I'm an IT team leader, actually. So software in the day and hardware the rest of the time. Mm. What about you, Ben? Uh, well, I was drawn in purely for the, uh, the tinkering. You know, I, I love to take things apart and see how they work. And I just got an email one day saying... Uh, oh, you know, they're having a party where you fix stuff. And I got my screwdrivers <laughs> and went out. And I had great fun. Um, but obviously I do um, strongly believe in the uh, ecological side underneath and the environmental stuff. Mm -hmm. So I kept with it for those two reasons. And then, as you say, I learned more about um, how community events work, how we can make a bigger impact and stretch this out. So it's not just me having fun on a Tuesday evening. It's actually a, a movement. Uh, yeah. And I've been kind of hooked since. Yeah, yeah, it's quite addictive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk a bit later about why this is so much fun. But there's much more to it than just fixing stuff that needs fixing. There's a whole community aspect to it. And that's why they're called restart parties, right? Mm. Yeah. And they really are parties. I think everyone comes for different reasons and has, and has fun. And that's why we keep doing it. Yeah. Indeed. Mm. OK. So I want to start with a bit of news. Uh, there's some interesting stuff in tech news today. Um, I've actually just read that uh, Maplin, the high street electronics retailer, uh, are in talks with buyers. So it sounds like uh, their insurers withdrew credit cover last year. Um, they've got falling profits. And uh, they may go into administration or they may have a buyer. Uh, there's more than one company apparently uh, looking into this. It may happen. Uh, so they claim they have a structure in place that if they're bought, they can still achieve their uh, 2020 vision, which is to go into smart devices. So they want to compete uh, by not just selling but installing them into the home. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Which, uh, I mean, it's obviously a big thing, but they're going to have some pretty stiff competition. Uh, there are some very big companies who obviously have a head start in that field. Yeah, well, also, if you look at, for instance, what people like Amazon and so on are doing, mm. most of their devices, you just buy them and drop them on, put them on the counter and they work. Yeah. So I don't really see how they can add value to that. It's very true, and I think the bespoke smart home has been around longer than the uh, the off-the-shelf smart home. True. But they're also more exclusive. Yeah, and that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? People who, for instance, want to have their hi-fi built into their walls mm -hmm. and they want to have all this stuff completely integrated so they have a smart garage and all mm -hmm. that stuff. But that's very high value. Yeah. And really, Maplin, I don't know about you, but I think of Maplin as a place where you, where you buy components. That's right, yeah. You know? I mean, uh, for a little bit of history, Maplin uh, 
came along uh, and kind of disrupted the electronic components market, which in the, in the 70s and 80s was actually doing quite well because repair was still more popular. And mm-hmm. they basically found a model where they could do um, what many businesses do and have a chain. Yeah. And they moved into many, many high streets. And now they've kind of taken over as the only high street name for electronic components. Indeed. A- and we kind of need that. Um, there are times you'll be somewhere and you'll say, I need a, a fuse or a plug and I need to go and get one right now. Well, more than fuses and plugs, resistors and capacitors, mm-hmm. the more nerdy side of you know the actual componenty stuff that you solder onto the circuit boards when we're repairing stuff. Mm. That stuff you cannot buy in a pound shop. Mm. You know, plugs and fuses you can get in supermarkets, for instance, but Maplin are the place where you go for your obscure components, and they also have a reputation for being at least partially knowledgeable on this stuff. And you know, most of the times you can walk up there and say, "I need a three kilo ohm five percent resistor," and they'll have one. Or if they don't, they'll be able to tell you or talk you through the catalogue to order one. Mm. So I feel a certain you know, pain in my heart about this. You know, Are Maplin going to disappear? In which case, is there going to be a replacement? Mm. If not, are we all going to be buying components from China over the internet? Yeah, well, I've got mixed feelings because I do have suppliers I use for if I'm buying over the internet or a big order and specialists. So Maplin only have one niche in my kind of repertoire, but that niche is really important, and that is right now. Um, yep. And that's why we have brick-and-mortar stores. A lot of the internet generation will buy online as a first choice, but there there is always value to be able to go out and do it. So I do worry that we'd be left with, with no alternative rather than just another alternative that's not the same. Yes, and also for those people who aren't so sure of themselves, maybe the less internet-savvy people or people who are just really nervous about buying stuff, mm. it's nice to be able to go and talk to somebody about this stuff. And most of those big suppliers... Not no disrespect to them, they do a wonderful job, but they don't generally have online chat available and stuff like that because of the economics involved. Mm. You know, if you're selling very cheap components, especially from abroad, you can't afford to do the support. Very true, yeah. And another piece of news that's um that's interesting is that Windows Phone seven and eight devices are losing support. Uh, I believe today for um, push notifications and for the Find My Phone service. So. While that's not something we use every day, it's it's kind of a useful feature that is now yep. just being switched off. Um, so the Windows phones released in 2011 and 12 um, that would have been, continued to be sold for a few years have reached end of support. Um, so they they lose push notifications, which will probably kill off email, MMS, all these yep. not really smart features. They're actually functionalities of a phone these days. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. people who are using this as their main phone might find that it just doesn't work for them well enough anymore. Presumably, they've also stopped software updates for them. Yes. Um, so uh, Windows 10 mobile is still fully supported, and uh, Windows Phone 8.1 is still being given updates as well. But these phones are now formally end of life. Hmm. Oh, and look at that. What's, the, what's that we're talking? 2011, that's seven years ago, if my math mm-hmm. is correct. That's not long, is it? Really? It's not. And if, you know, let's look at the wider field of electronics and say, OK, if you buy a washing machine, how long <laughs> do you expect to get out of it and a TV? Well, I'll boast and say that my mother's washing machine lasted over 30 years. Now, that was a labour of love keeping that going. And eventually the chassis rusted, you know. But we did. Yeah, that's an example of what you can do. And I think it says a lot for how fast it's the software that moves, isn't it? The networking Mm -hmm. protocols, all that kind of thing. That's why something like that can be obsolete in a few years. I think think you're right. It is mostly the software because there are people who look after their devices. They do keep working, you know, because things can break, but they don't really degrade usually. And 
So for the people who have diligently looked after their Windows phone and they, they're used to it and it's a tool they love if mm. they've kept it this long, they're basically having the door closed and, and there may not be an alternative because, uh, you know, Microsoft have had a rough time kind of changing oh, yeah. platforms regularly with their phone stuff. Yeah, and I, I sympathise with Microsoft who, of course, came in third into a market sort of thing and they've been desperately playing catch-up and they finally did the honest mm. thing and said, we can't keep up, mm. which at least they were honest and did that rather than kind of keeping people going forever and ever. But it's still, as you say, people, there'll be how many, I don't know how many Windows phones are out there, there must be a few million. Yeah, there must be, yeah. So we'll have to see how that one pans out. Yep. Yeah. Um, so on to our first topic, how does repair benefit the wider community? Uh, we kind of, you know, this is what we do. We, we were fixers for a long time, but as, mm -hmm. as restarters and members of this project, it's really about how we can get into the community and create movement for everybody. Um, so I've got a few stats that uh, I can kind of throw out there. That, you know, mm -hmm. rolling stats, these are updated all the time because we are out there doing stuff. Um, we have these uh, open community repair events where someone can help you repair your devices. Uh, we've so far had over 8,000 participants across the board uh, with 12,000 hours volunteered and over 6,000 devices worked on. Mm -hmm. So this is a lot more than just, uh, you know, 10, 20 of us fixing our, our mum's TVs and uh, helping our neighbours with a bit of DIY, it's really, it's really a big thing. Yeah, indeed. And if you consider out of that lot, what are the numbers we've repaired? About half of them. Mm -hmm. All right. Now you consider how much rubbish is not there for being chucked on the rubbish heap. Yep. And even if that stuff was all recycled, we know recycling electronics not easy. Mm -hmm. It's very expensive, energy intensive. It's very inefficient. Usually you end up recycling maybe the precious metals, the copper possibly, usually not the plastics and so on. So it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Also in terms of poisonous substances not being yep. dumped into landfills. Well, and that includes carbon dioxide because obviously associated with every device you no longer use, there is a replacement you'll buy and there's a carbon cost to actually produce that. So something like 80,000 kilos of carbon dioxide have been diverted um, thanks to what we do. Uh, mm, but there's also, tons, yeah. it's wider than environmental, you know, because we, we, you know, we, we reach out to the community in different ways. So uh, repair naturally connects people from different backgrounds. So, you know, someone who has the skills to fix is not usually the same person as the person with a broken device that they need help with. So yep. it naturally brings people together and, and builds bonds that, you know, they can last. And it also creates a more blurry edged community idea rather than I've got a mate who does this. It becomes there are people out there that I'm connected with. Oh, yeah, definitely. And also, it's a very nice... It's not like taking your device to a shop who then send it off to be repaired. It's a very different experience mm -hmm. for everybody. So us repairers are, are interacting with people who have a device. So they learn more about the device. Mm -hmm. We can learn about the history of the device, have some fun talking about it. My favourite thing is very old devices. Mm -hmm. Because usually there's a bit of history there, you know, when was it bought, who bought it, you know, oh, my dad's had this for this many years, I've nursed it along, you know, can we keep our old family toaster going for another 10 years, whatever. Mm. There are some great stories out there, and it's really fun to be a part of that for us, and also to be able to keep that story going. Yeah. You know, it's like restoring a painting or, you know, finding the family album in the attic or whatever, those kind of things. You know, somebody's favourite radio may have a whole lot of history associated mm. with it. Or something simple, you know, even in the shorter timescale, people don't like replacing their phones. Yeah. You know, I had a chap who had a first-generation, what they used to call a feature phone, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So one of those things that could do texting and so on, but was definitely not a smartphone. And he loved it. And all that he needed was, I think the microphone was blocked with dirt. He just needed a bit of a clean. Mm. And suddenly he's as happy as a sandboy because his favourite beloved phone doesn't have to be thrown away and replaced. Yeah. And we must remember also that, uh, you know, the way we see repair is, is largely, you know, it's not our jobs, it's for fun and for communication and enjoyment. But uh, there is commercial repair. And yeah. while there's less than there used to be, there is definitely a growing movement of people accessing these services. And what I love about it is it is a service, it's not a product. You don't yeah. send it off to get it fixed or buy a fix. You talk to someone, they understand your need, they might understand why it means something to you. And then you create some work, some economic movement, while yeah. also doing something greener. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And what we're hoping, one of the things that the Restart Project is doing at the moment is mapping repair services. So, that, mm. for instance, our hope is in the future people will be able to see how many repair shops there are in their area, what they specialise mm-hmm. in and so on. And even people who have other businesses maybe will do repair as a sideline, for instance. Mm-hmm. Because there is some money in it, maybe not a huge amount, but unfortunately the moment the economics are skewed, Mm-hmm. Nobody pays the true cost of something. You know, we dig up all these petrochemicals and we use them to make plastic, but who pays for the cost of not being able to replace those? Mm. You know, they go into landfill, it's gone. So, sadly, repair is disproportionately expensive at the moment because there is no tax on non-renewable products. But yeah. my my hope is that, that will improve. For instance, Sweden at the moment are talking about, I don't know if they've done it yet, um, taking VAT off repairs. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a discount on repairs. And it would be nice if other countries, hint, hint, UK, actually thought about doing something like that to stimulate the repair business. Yeah, and the trick is to create a path of least resistance. You know, um, people as a group are not individuals, and you need to create a way that, in general, they'll flow in the direction of of improved behaviour. So obviously the way to do that is to provide benefits to to repair. Yeah, indeed. You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. This week we are talking about... Well, how uh, repair can benefit the community and also uh, the supply and demand that's currently going on with technology. Um, as things become more ubiquitous and, you know, there's, it's not just computers, it's not just phones, there's now chips and everything, everything's smart. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to sound like too much of a codger, but it, it is <laughs> everywhere. Um, washing machines now have computers in them. Um, I think I was doing a bit of research about um, a certain company's operating system for their smart TVs, and it turns out the same OS is in 30% of their washing machines since last year. (laughs) I wonder which company that is. Hmm. Mm. Yes. Everything has chips in it now, doesn't it, Ben? Yeah. And the question is, is tech consumption kind of getting out of control? Um, It's about demand here. So manufacturing in every single sector is going to demand chips. It's demanding electronic components. And it's definitely an all-time high, I mean, and it's growing. It's just, yeah. it is. Uh, so, you know, I'm kind of concerned that the upgrade cycle, with some of these devices, it gets shorter and shorter. As, as we mentioned earlier, that, you know, some devices like a washing machine you expect to last longer, but if everything starts having software in it, and yeah. there's a security risk as well as a lifetime risk for development, yeah. uh, what impact is that going to have if the only solution is to get a new one? Yeah, and it's not just about... It's a, as you say, bizarrely, if your washing machine has some software in it that is accessible over the internet and it has a security glitch in it, then presumably either you're going to have to have your washing machine upgrade itself, mm. unlikely, 
or you're going to have to throw away your washing machine because of a software glitch. Uh-huh. And what's funny about you saying that is I'm in, me, in my head just going, just unplug the cord, as in the phone cord, you know. But it, yeah. it's going to be wireless. But why can't we just say, OK, no network for you? Or is it going to be that your washing machine doesn't work if exactly. it's not on the internet? Yes, this is the scary thing, isn't it? They're going to, they'll sell this as a feature, but you can imagine having a washing machine which upgrades itself, you know, that build, oh, yes, you've got a new fabric. Well, there's a mm. new program for your fabric, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But, yeah, if it doesn't work when it's not connected, then you're ruined, aren't you? You know, you've yeah. bought this washing machine. And, oh, yeah, it's got a security problem, so you don't want to connect it to the internet. But if you don't connect it, it doesn't work. Huh? Mm. Rock in a hard place, yeah. I suppose. So th- this, you know, this situation where we're inescapably around tech, um, it's really driving demand on the production side and the, the sales and marketing side. Um, you know, memory has been um, in a shortage for a long time because it's not just yeah. used for computers. It's now used for phones and TVs and these same chips, you know, produced from silicon are basically they can't produce enough of them. Yeah. Um, and it's even affecting the second-hand market because there's so much demand that, that people who can't get one new are still going out and buying something. And yeah. so what used to be a nice dry market where you could find something second-hand for quite cheap and, and do it up if you're happy. I mean, I'm not sure I've ever bought any new electronics. Uh, not on a big scale. I've never Good. had a new computer. Um, and that's changing because now prices are starting to, you know, be much closer together. Well, presumably if demand gets high enough, they'll be equal, right? More because or less. if somebody wants a, a memory chip, it really makes no difference whether that's new or mm-hmm. second hand. You're really only paying a premium to have it now rather than soon. Yeah. You know, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I kind of I question what implications this has for repair and reuse. Um, it's really nice to see a healthy second hand market. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it really driven by advertising? You know, is it driven by the desire to purchase rather than desire not to purchase new? Good question, yeah. And I don't think you can argue that everybody needs a new phone every 18 months. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm holding on to mine, and I look at that phone. Here's, here's an interesting statistic for you. I'm old enough, there is more memory in my phone than there existed in the world when I was born. That's a really interesting one. You think about it, there weren't that many computers in the 50s, right? And they had kilobytes of memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my phone has gigabytes of memory, mm. right? So there's more computing power in my pocket than there was in the world. In the year when I was born, in the years when I was born. So, mm. where have we got to with this? What are we? Has it improved our quality of life? Hmm. That's a really, really three-dimensional question. Isn't it? I'm not <laughs> sure we can touch that one. <laughs> no, but my my argument will be: it obviously hasn't improved it. You know, you get a new upgrade on your a new phone every eighteen months. That really doesn't give you that same order of magnitude improvement in quality of life that you would think, yeah. given the amount of hype and the amount of electronics that goes into it. Mm. It seems unfair somehow. I mean, yeah, this kind of tangentially touches on Moore's law, which is that, you know, the amount of uh, transistors we can fit in a chip doubles roughly and roughly every one to two years. So, you know, at some point we would think this would level off or that all of our computers would get fast enough. We don't need a new one next year. (laughs) I'm not, I'm really not seeing it. Um, It doesn't filter through into a general slowdown of purchasing. It's actually, if anything, driving, why not add more chips to more stuff? Yeah. Well, if you look at the latest generation of phones, they now have three-dimensional face sensors in them. Yeah. Right? What? <laughs> yeah, you now have a phone that knows what you look like. Not that you can use that for anything interesting, but just so you can unlock your phone by looking at it. And I must say, I'm, wow. I'm really guilty as a, a complete tech head of, of going, wow, they've invented this in a yeah. lab. And then a couple of years later, someone puts it on their flagship phone and I go, wow, that's really impressive. And then I get offered one. I say, well, I don't want that. I just want to push a button, send a message, and yeah. make calls. And then a couple of years later, I eventually 
upgrade, although it's usually <laughs> secondhand, and, and suddenly go, oh, this is nice. <laughs> so to yeah. a degree, we do like some of these developments. Of course we do. We all love them. You know, I've got a smartphone, and I would no doubt if you pushed me, I would find some totally bogus argument why I needed it, right? Oh, yes, I really need to know the weather immediately because I can't be able to put my hand out and see mm. if it's raining, you know, mm. and things like that. So my old codger side says you don't need any of this stuff, but I actually have this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I can't, you know, I bought a tablet recently because I wanted a mobile computer to carry with me. Yeah. So, yeah, we're all guilty. I've had an interesting conundrum recently, and it may be completely hypocritical, but as a, a lifelong tech uh, geek, uh, I've realised that, you know, my consumption is driven as a kind of a passion and a hobby and I want this new stuff to see how mm. it works and to, to play with it. It's something yeah. you spend a lot of time exploring. I don't just use it for, for productivity. But, of course, that could be just an excuse because um, I'm, I'm yeah. implying that certain people wouldn't have, you know, access to new things all the time. So we need a, a pinch of salt with it, I guess, and to be a bit responsible when we purchase. Yeah, and I think... It's a bit like giving up any bad habit. What you need is just a delay. Just say, no, I will not buy the new phone when it comes out. Mm. Just do that a little bit. You know, so just stand back and say, actually, I don't need it now. Let me think about that. And then even that few weeks that you delay it, you are actually delaying the consumption cycle slightly. Yeah. You are doing your tiny bit to slow down their wheel. Yeah, I think that comes down to a wider tenet I try and live by, which is take what you need. Um, of course. You know, and it's it's still true even if what we're talking about silicon chips and, uh, you know, screen size. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, you know, we can learn to live with smaller screens and cheaper phones. Yeah, it's about responsible purchasing, certainly, and, and time, yeah. Um, so I've got a piece of bonus news that I'm really excited about as a, <laughs> as a gamer, um, and, and a gamer and a tinkerer likewise. Uh, I've read that the Nintendo Switch, that's the, the handheld portable console with a touchscreen, um, has been busted open and turned into a Linux tablet. <laughs> so uh, basically, you know, some, some geeks somewhere have decided they want to see how this works, and they've dug in there and they've found a way to commandeer the system and, and run a fully functional Linux desktop. So... Um, you know, it's not it's not just a, a clever screen or a trick. It's a functional machine. Well, yeah, okay. So you can what we're saying. Let me just get this clear. You can turn a kind of standard gaming console into effectively a desktop computer. Is that yeah. right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what's interesting about it is everyone. I mean, to, you know, to do this, you probably already have a desktop computer. Yes, um, exactly. And it's really not there for the sake of reusing the tech for that purpose. It's there for the achievement of saying. We cracked it open, we learned it, we had fun on the way. Um, you know, it's a great sign for hardware ownership and for kind of creative use of what you have because if you've done that to your own device, you've proven this is not owned by the manufacturer, it's not locked down. I own this, it's mine. That is very true. That's very true. Um, when we were at FixFest last mm -hmm. year, we talked a lot. We talked with Carl Weens from iFixit about ownership mm -hmm. and his big thing is he wants to own things. And part of the thing about repair if you think about it, if you can't repair it, you don't really own it in any sense. Mm -hmm. You know, morally speaking, you know, if you have to give it back to the manufacturer, you know, and they swap it for a new one or it disappears and it comes back and you don't even know it's the same device, you don't really own it unless you can take it apart, pull the chips out, stick new chips in it, do whatever the hell you like to it. Unless you have total control of it, you don't own it. I've got a big grin on my face because, as you say, that you know you have to be able to take it apart. That you know sometimes the first thing I do with something new is take it to bits, it's, especially if it's a second-hand purchase. I will strip it down, clean it up, make yeah. sure it's all good. But okay. I'm almost instating my ownership now. It's mine. It's it's up yeah. to the standards of how I want, and I know it intimately. 
which makes me want to keep it longer. Um, and that's, that's kind of why I'm fascinated by this, um, the homebrew movement, as it's known for these kind of um, homemade softwares for, for games consoles. Uh, you know, it's really strong, but it's, it's relatively small. It's a community. And it's, it's not people who want to break the systems and maybe even make money. It's actually, you know, game-loving geeks who, who oh, yeah. tinker. There have been, this has been going on for a long time. For instance, one of the things I remember was when Barney the Dinosaur... I was TM, I suppose I have to say. That. There's a children's toy called Barney the Dinosaur, which spoke, and there was a massive online competition to see who was the first person who could make Barney swear. <laughs> <laughs> right? It had to be done, and it was eventually. And of course, as soon as it was done, the manufacturer then tied it down so you could yeah. only use the fixed vocabulary with it, so you couldn't make it swear. Mm. But yeah, whenever you have a device that is tinkerable, people mm -hmm. will tinker. And that's wonderful. I love mm -hmm. that. Even though it's not something I do myself, I love to read about people's exploits. And this is, in, as you say, this is in a nice way. It's not in a malicious way. You're not trying to make money, steal things, hack into the Pentagon, whatever, any mm -hmm. of that stuff. What you're trying to do is make the world a funnier place, make the world yeah. a more creative place, a more interesting place. Yeah. Many years ago, somebody worked out how to get the viewfinder of a Canon camera to play the game Doom. <laughs> I can't even remember how the hell they did it, but they did it by downloading firmware into the camera. Yep. Yeah, anything can be hacked. Yeah, and it's and that's purely for achievement. It's you yeah. know, it's it's no it's, use whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's you know, doing jumps on your bike. It's just to look cool and have fun. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's good. We should be doing that. I actually totally. got a, a great quote from The Verge where I read about this actually on the, on the Switch. It's mostly just nice to know that, given enough expertise and determination, you could, <laughs> and that's what drives us. You know, yeah. you could do that. You could put this in there. You could fix that. Yes, exactly. And I think it's also, there is a certain amount of perversity, but it's pleasant perversity. Mm -hmm. yeah, you're not deliberately driving against the traffic or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You're just taking things in an interesting direction and saying, hey, the world could be a bit different. The world can be a bit weirder. You're creating some harmless chaos. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so you've been listening to a volunteer takeover of Restart Radio. Uh, I'm Penn Skidmore, and I've got my colleague Dave Lukes here. Hey. Uh, we've got some upcoming restart parties. I think Dave can tell us about those. Yeah, indeed. Um, excuse me. Um, we have one this Thursday, 22nd of February, at Bellside Community Library from 6.30 to 9pm. Um, also, quick plug for my own organisation, Hackney Fixers. Our next party is on 18th of March, Sunday, at Stanford Hill Library, 1pm. That's going to be quite fun because we're going to be doing, as well as electronics and electricals, we're going to be doing clothing repair with our friends from trade. OK, sounds great. So uh, we're going to put up a few links when we uh, upload our podcast with this uh, recording so you can read more about the, uh, the Switch and the news from <laughs> Maplin and Windows Phone, good or bad, and how that develops. Uh, so we can say find out more at our website, which is www.therestartproject.org, or find us on Twitter or Facebook. And we should say thanks to Optinoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discarded electronics. Keep fixing. Bye. Bye. Thank you.